Hello, welcome to the Weight Endurance Podcast, formerly known as the Session 6 Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Waite, sitting across the table from my lovely wife, Kathy Waite. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back, episode 26. Um, all of our shows, up to this point at least, have been brought to you by our 2020 Base Builder Program. We're taking you through our annual off-season base training thought processes and training progressions to make you a fitter and faster rider by spring. So we're just shining light on what we do for training and how we've trained hundreds of athletes over the years, both in person at at our training facility, what was Session 6 in Lakewood, Colorado, and then also kind of online through coaching and training plans and that sort of thing. Yeah, and our own experiences for sure. And our own experiences, absolutely. That's probably what I've learned the most from, trial and error, successes, failures. Yeah, I think that's a big piece of it. I mean, I always thought of myself as my own... uh, laboratory experiment I guess like mm-hmm. over the years just trying I mean I learned things and from way back from coaches as a teenager and early 20 year old and then as I became more of a coach and self-coaching and just experimenting on yeah, myself. Yeah coaching me from being a total newbie 10 right. years ago. to Which, That was so fun to see. Yeah. Yeah when you started. Oh you, my god I didn't even know how to clip into my pedals and unclip. One of my favorite, funniest memories is when we lived actually down the street um, in those condos and we left the the property or we were trying to leave the property for a road ride and we were at the stoplight and we turned, you turned right and went down Alameda Parkway Mm -hmm. and I couldn't get my damn foot clipped into the pedal. And you came back a couple minutes later, and I was still there, like almost in tears. And you're like, what, what's going on? I'm like, I can't get my foot in the pedal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've all been there, learning clipless pedals. and But yeah, from a training standpoint, you progressed so well, and it was fun being your coach, as well as your partner, mm-hmm. husband, whatever you want to call me. Um, <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> um, and uh, seeing you progress. So yeah, we've been, been our own little... Experiments. experiments. Yeah, and I've learned a lot this past year um, as we've coached the We Devo riders, like watching how they progressed and how they've done well in some races and not done well, and like just observing and yeah. tucking away those thoughts for next year when I race. It, that that part's been pretty cool yeah. for me. I guess that's how you've learned by watching me progress. Now I'm learning watching these young riders progress. Yeah, yeah. Training our We Development team has been really cool because it's like now we have actually a small group of athletes to quote unquote experiment on and I mean we're not doing anything so wild but you know it's very quality training but it's fun to see how the different individuals Mm -hmm. respond and react and progress to the more or less the same kinds of training and just those different rates of progression. Yeah it's really cool. Yeah some respond like almost immediately others it's taken almost a whole year and now they're like really responding you know so Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Well, speaking of them, you spent time yesterday at a coffee shop updating the website. So you could, you guys can check out um, the We Devo page on our website. Um, how do they find that? Uh, weightendurance.com. Okay, so you have our, to switch that over. Yeah, is our URL. I mean, endurance.session6.com will still get you there as well. But uh, weightendurance.com um, gets you there. Yeah, and then under the About menu there's a little uh there's a drop down menu and you click on we devo and it has a whole page dedicated to them and kind of what we're doing with that program you can see the little bios of each right or little pictures i guess and silly sayings quotes i've collected or maybe made up um <laughs> you can't really tell they're really funny um on that and then 
that sort of thing. And then we're going to be rolling out a, um, we've been working the last week or so on kind of a way to folks can donate to the team because it is a 501c3 nonprofit team this year, We Development um, in Colorado. And um, we're really excited about that because we've been able to gain some additional cash sponsors and supporters. And then we're going to be able to do like actual nonprofit donation collecting. Right, right. So you added a donation button to that uh, WeDevo page. Yep. And we're working on just like a fun campaign where we can give like water bottles and stickers and I'm going to order some t-shirts and hoodies. Yeah. um, Like a tiered system of donations. Right, right. So So hopefully we'll have that finished up maybe next week and kind of roll that out. So if you're uh, interested in supporting the future of mountain biking, um, that would be awesome. And you can get some swag and represent wherever you live um, with that. So stay tuned on that. Um, yeah, so we're, this is episode 26. We're going to talk a lot about VO2 max training because that's mm-hmm. what's coming up next in our base builder. Uh, we're wrap, we're halfway through the high intensity portion, which is like the second phase of base builder, um, with about four more weeks really left in base mm, builder. Okay. So, um, and VO2 max is the next progression. So we'll talk, uh, about what is VO2 max, how we go about training it, <clears throat> um, especially right now during the base building phase um, and kind of give some insights on that as well as week 24 of the actual base builder program if you're following along um, that way. What else have we, anything else we've been up to? Yeah, what have we been up to? Well, um, last episode I was down with a cold. Um, I still sound a little funny, but I've been feeling really much better. Um, And thankfully I was able to join you and the the We Devo riders that could participate last weekend when we we rode our bikes down to Elizabeth, Colorado. Right. That was pretty fun. We should maybe give a shout out to your mama. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom owns a horse ranch in Elizabeth, Colorado, which is like southeast of Denver a fair bit. Um, And we packed backpacks and rode out there um, doing, depending on where each rider started, it was like 70 to 100 miles to get out there. Um, And then stayed the night. She has a really cool horse facility with like these yurts and multiple showers and like a really like a guest ranch kind of setting yeah um so it worked really well with the team and then um we packed up the next morning and rode home and yeah uh, and just seeing the farm roads uh, like that, that route was really fun to me it's, yeah it was like different than our normal normal mountainous uh, routes we do over yeah here in the front range and range and yeah it was just really fun like very little cars roads. and um, farmhouses and bigger properties. It was, it was beautiful. Up yeah. There. Yeah. It t- takes a while to get out of Denver, greater Denver proper, whatever you call it. Um, but yeah, once you got out there, it's, it, it is was really cool. fun. So yeah, thanks to your mom for being very hospitable and, um, it was a good adventure. I know that's what is really appealing to Sophia, our daughter and some of the, the, of the other kids. Yeah. The adventurous the explo- exploration right. aspect of their training. Right. And I've got another good ride on tap for them this weekend. I call oh, the it my, cinnamon roll ride? My cinnamon roll century. Oh, yeah. cinnamon roll century. Okay. Um, where we ride, we'll ride north of Denver this time, um, almost to Fort Collins, not quite. Um, and it, there's a place known for what they claim to be world-famous cinnamon rolls. Um, they are good. I don't know if they're actually world-famous, but um, probably not. But Johnson's Corner, if anyone's driven between Denver and Fort Collins, is probably aware. I've seen the signs at least <laughs> yeah. of this place. So we'll ride up there, get a cinnamon roll, um, and ride back. So... Another big ride coming up on Sunday. It's supposed to be pretty nice outside, so um, we'll take advantage of it. Um, 
That's about it. I mean, training has been going well for me. For, oh, yeah, you for said you. you crushed the intervals on Tuesday. Yeah. I've you felt good. Cruising along. nice to feel good during a workout. Yeah, it is. And I'm going to keep pushing one more good solid week. Um, well, this week that we're in right now. And then next week, I think I'm going to back it off a little. And yeah. Take. We'll still do the intervals. We'll still do some training, but it'll be like half the amount mm. of the last couple of weeks. Okay. Just need to dial it back. Recover a little bit. Um, as it works out, there's sort of a snowstorm on the horizon on the weather app uh, for next weekend, so it could work out really well. So I don't have to try to get into big training and through through a snowstorm or whatever. So um, yeah, so we've been moving quite along well in the uh, in-house program. I wanted to mention a funny interaction I yeah. had with Zach yesterday. So at the strength um, program, yeah. So oh, let me interrupt. Yeah, so those that are listening to us, maybe new. Uh, we have our training facility um, that's now uh, CrossFit Common Fortitude because we sold it. It's no longer Session 6 Sport Performance, but we still train out of there. So we have our in-house strength program so that we have Mondays and Wednesdays for Denver area athletes. Um, and then Tuesdays, Thursdays, where I coach the trainer classes for everybody. Um, we have three different sessions throughout the day on those days. So yeah, you you were going to tell a story from a trainer, or yeah, sorry, a I strength had ref- class. I had referenced Zach a few podcasts ago but I hadn't mentioned his name but I had just been mentioning um our our new we were talking about our new movements our single arm overhead squat in particular yeah like the stability which is a very challenging movement because if you were to do it as prescribed you'd be holding a a weight overhead in one arm one hand and squatting down it's really tricky yeah it's very tricky a lot of um Shoulder mobility, thoracic mobility, core strength, body awareness. Yeah. Um, it's really it's really tough. So I had mentioned that I was watching a particular person in class, and he was doing a crazy twisting motion, and I was horrified and said, no, 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 this move is not for you. Put your put your um, weight down on your shoulder in what we, we would call a front rack position. So he said yesterday to me, oh, I heard you mentioned me in the podcast. And I said, well, I didn't say your name. I didn't want to embarrass you. <laughs> But it was really funny to me. Now, the cool part of the story is that he was able to do the single arm overhead squat yesterday. And okay. it was really fun to watch. And After you hinted, suggesting people, this is what you told me. Yeah, yeah. People that can't quite do it right shouldn't do it. And then you look over. And his arm was over his and head. And he was doing it. And I was but like, then you were like. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I looked over and saw Zach with his arm over his head. And my first thought was. What the hell are you doing? We've already gone over this. This move is not for you. But he nailed it. He nailed it. Awesome. And so I asked him, like, how, like, what's the difference? Like, how did you do it well this week versus two weeks ago where it was dangerous? And he, he just felt like he was more aware of his body and was thinking more about how to do it properly and was able to make the adjustments. Yeah. So good job. Well, that's, that's such a great, like, take home message of like, just one being in the moment because mm-hmm. it is so easy and I find myself doing this sometimes is like you're rushing through the routine because you're thinking of other things you know what do you got to do at work or later or whatever and it's like oh I'm going to do this movement let's just do it whereas if you are in the moment you know yeah. very yoga-esque and con- you know focus and concentrate and you're aware of your body yeah you can execute so much better you know in these strength moves but I think even in <clears throat> bike riding situations, definitely race situations. Like who hasn't been in a race where they were distracted by something else and you either end up not going as hard as you could or should or you make goofy mistakes and crash or drop a water bottle or whatever. Yeah, I've versus, done that. Yeah. yeah, staying in the moment and you're 
maybe you're going down a rocky descent and you really think about actually I could hinge my hips a little better, Mm -hmm. get in this position, you know, be more focused and ready for that. And being in the moment, you ride better and ultimately race better and so on. So that's a good take home message. Yeah, always be the moment. Yeah. Because you could rush through the the core sets in your strength session and do them sort of like half assed. Mm -hmm. And yeah, whatever. You get like half of the value out of it. Or you like really focus and you get the most out of it. Right. Um, one of my favorite memories from working out with our friend from Switzerland, Renata Bucher. Mm-hmm. Bucher. Um, she was a pro exterior athlete with you back in the day. And I was fussing outside one time. We, we went for like, I can't remember if it was a bike ride or a run, to be honest. But I was fussing. I wasn't in the mood. And she looked at me and she said, we're out here. Make it count. So make it count has always been in my yeah. head. Oh, that's good You're advice. You're like, yeah. already on the trainer and doing who cares yeah. if you don't want to like you're here you've taken the time to put your clothes on get your bike set up leave work whatever it is make it count right right so good Definitely. advice from renata she's an awesome person and yeah i miss her me too and a successful <laughs> athlete so anyway that was my takeaway from um the class this week was just um zach improving and also just like the funny story right. of him hearing a, me reference him without his name and the other thing i wanted to say about this week in class um Actually, two thoughts I had. Number one, I'm I really I'm really impressed with people like Zach and his wife Victoria who come on like four days a week at noon for the bike and the strength classes, and they're very busy. They have yeah. three little kids. They have demanding jobs, demanding professional yeah. jobs, but they're committed to their fitness. They're committed to their race plans for next summer. I think Zach's doing Leadville. Yeah, he yeah, got into Leadville. He got in Leadville and. Victoria's, uh, Victoria's doing, doing Ironman. So yeah, right. I know she's doing Coeur d'Alene, yeah. which I think is a 70.3 this year. Oh, they changed okay. It That's right. And then an Ironman in like September or something. Yeah, so they're making it happen. And, you know, you and I have the advantage of having a flexible schedule. And it's not that it's always easy to do our workouts, but it is easy in the sense that we don't have a boss telling us to get back to a meeting. Right. Etc. And well, our kids are older. So yeah. we don't have to get babysitters anymore for our ride. So just... Kudos to people like Zach and Victoria who make this happen, who are committed to their their race goals and their fitness, and they're they're making it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes I feel like parents in particular can feel a little guilty, like they have younger children and they're getting a babysitter to go get their ride in or yeah. whatever. And we had to do that back in the day. And I don't know, I, I never felt guilty per se, but it's like, I think the setting yourself up as a role model for your children that you as the parent is are also pursuing other endeavors and particularly athletic challenging mm-hmm. athletic endeavors I think is says so much and sets your kid up for possibly being more aware if not interested in being physically active themselves and being ultimately a healthier person as an adult um, so I, I think yeah, there's a lot I of value to that. you know I agree with that yeah for sure so don't feel guilty if you're uh, you know if you feel like you're putting yourself above your kids sometimes I think need to do that that's a balance right yeah um and the last thought i had mentioned to you this morning over coffee was just that i was really happy to see that the youth well actually the adults too but it was very obvious last night in our in-house strength session with the large group of teenagers we had how they have figured out who they can work with for their their weightlifting Mm -hmm. like sharing weights sharing sharing barbells sharing weights and they're like bonding and laughing and having fun sometimes too much and I have to tell them to zip it while I'm talking but (laughs) right 
But I just love that. I mean, that's the beauty of a community and a group setting and the adults are becoming friends and the youth are becoming friends. And actually, sometimes that even crosses over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just, it's really cool. Yeah, very, I, I like it too. It is cool to see. Um, well, good. Yeah, that's about it. Really. Okay, move on to some questions. Yeah, so we got some questions that came in. Um, actually, one of them, I think, was like a progress update. Yeah, this one was cool. pretty pretty interesting yeah, to, to run, both run of us. Yeah, run that one. So Wes Hayes sent this in. He's a member of our remote base builder program. So okay. he's following along, you know, week to week exactly what we're doing here. And he sent me an email it was a week or two ago, um, kind of just giving me an update of his progress through his testing, test one and test two. Right. So, so yeah, I'm going to read out some numbers. So try to catch these. Um, he says, hi, Cody. Hope all is well. Just a couple quick updates. Um, I, I staggered the base builder plan after being sick. So I just tested last week. Then he lists his first test results from October 29th and compares them to his second test results, which was January 14th. Okay. Um, that's two and a half months. Two and a half months apart. Right. right? And there was like one week where he, he missed some training because he was, had a little cold. Okay. Yeah. So his first test results back in the fall, his one minute was 383. His recent test results, he improved 30% in his one minute power test was 499 watts yeah that's amazing that's massive yeah to go from a little under 400 to basically 500 Mm -hmm. watts um yeah okay that that sort of like blows me away um his four minute test his um first test back in october was 276 watts and his recent results were 316 watts which was a 14% improvement okay very good okay then um his 20 minute aerobic threshold result the first time was 181 watts so he okay. held 181 watts at less than 80 percent of his heart yeah rate. at 80 percent yeah so this is not a, a max typical like ftp time trial this is a sub max aerobic 20 minute test just mm-hmm. to check aerobic fitness progress which mm-hmm. he made so he had 181 watts uh, october 29th and then a week or two ago he improved at 13 percent to 205 watts yeah which is great because I think I only improved like four or five watts and I was happy with that. Mm-hmm. That that resulted through your calculations, your spreadsheet, your formula. And it, his FTP went from 207 to 215. Okay. But interestingly, his fatigue rate was 7%, 6.98% the first time. And now it's up to 9.17%. Okay. So his FTP, 207 to 215. Right. Okay. And I want to talk about yeah, that. Um, finish what he wrote. Oh, yeah. He wrote, interesting results and similar to another athlete you mentioned on the podcast, Bill, Marku. Um, higher fatigue rate equals lower FTP gains. Um, one minute power way up, likely because of strength training? Question mark. Lots of room for improvement on the aerobic end of things. Trying to kickstart that with a higher volume and TSS week right now. Hope all is well. Cool. Yeah. Well, first off, Wes, thanks for sharing the information. Some people don't like to share for whatever reason, but I think it's super cool. So I would say anyone out there following along, send us updates. Um, and assuming you do that, well, it's the permission that we can talk about it on our show here, but um, it's just fun to share the progress mm-hmm. and, and maybe lack of progress. <coughs> oh, if, excuse me. Sorry about that. If that happens to be the case. So um but yeah, I mean, awesome gains. And this opens up kind of a question that we get from a lot of people regarding the testing and the fatigue rate and how that equates to FTP. Yeah, I heard you talking with the group on Tuesday night in the front room when I was in the back yeah, coaching. So right. it's it's confusing to even me. I keep having to listen and 
try to tuck away what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So first and foremost, so many people get stuck on this FTP number, which is just this one data point that in theory is supposed to be if you were going to go for one hour as hard as you could, that was the original definition of this. What would that average power be? Well, few, if anyone, will go all out for an hour. I mean, it's too hard. So over the years, there's been different ways the, to test this and extrapolate being the 20-minute time trial minus 5%, find that FTP. FTP, in my opinion, is only useful because we have to use it in mm -hmm. training peaks and our devices to, one, calculate TSS scores, and then if you're in ERG mode and using a device, it's the power requirement is based off of a percentage of this FTP number. If it were up to me, I would just get rid of the whole concept of FTP because it's too, like one. It's like one data point that people are surrounding all their training on. <laughs> I'm bragging about right because the person's FTP can come from different. You know, is it more? It's more of that power coming from the anaerobic end or the aerobic end. Mm -hmm. You know, meaning are you a diesel engine that can go all day, or are you more of the sprinter or anaerobic power? You know, roller attacker type person. Um, and that's why I like our test where we take two test points and extrapolate the fatigue rate or mm -hmm. the slope between them of the power decreasing as the duration extends, calculating that fatigue rate, basically the percentage that power drops over doubling durations, and then extrapolating things out because some a power athlete or speed athlete is going to have a higher fatigue rate, meaning they're going to lose power more quickly. The diesel engine aerobic athlete is going to have a lower fatigue rate, meaning their power isn't going to decline as much, but it might not start at as high of a level, potentially. Um, so it's like two ways to, to go about it and make it more personalized to the individual. So in this case, where um, Wes's, you know, his one minute went up, he calculated out by 30%. But his four minute only went up by fourteen percent. So mm -hmm. his one minute improved twice as much, relatively percentage wise. Right. But even just just to mention fourteen percent improvement on a four minute test is incredible. Yeah, very very good. So he went from that difference of his one minute increasing significantly more than his four minute made his fatigue rate increase from rounded seven percent to nine percent. So it increased his fatigue rate because his one minute went up quite uh, quite a lot. Now, why did his one minute go up? I think there's a very strong possibility that the strength training contributed to that, because strength training is really the purest form of anaerobic movement. Mm -hmm. um, there's no oxygen required whatsoever to lift a heavy barbell off the ground or squat a heavy barbell. Um, so if he was making gains in the gym, it's normal to see gains in that short-term one-minute power, more so than the like more sustained anaerobic end of the four minute power. So even though both his one minute and four minute and his aerobic 20 minute numbers all went up, his calculated FTP number, it went up, but only by a very small amount from 207 to 215, 4% is what he calculated out. So that's because his fatigue rate got steeper, got bigger, meaning we're starting at our one minute power, which is up. It drops down um, X, you know, his fatigue rate percentage, 9%, down to two-minute power, another 9% drop to one-minute power, and it's going to continue 9% drops 
as you as you double that duration all the way out to a 64 minute power right and so 64 minute power is what we use in our calculations what we just simply call that ftp mm -hmm. number that then you're only going to use that to enter into training peaks to calculate your tss scores because when we train intervals we at least encourage people the way we do it in the gym the way you and i do it is we train based off of our energy the power related to the energy system that we're training so the 64 minute power although and the range to 32 minute power that's our anaerobic threshold so mm -hmm. instead of saying we're going to do intervals at 95 to 102 percent of ftp we're doing our 32 to 64 minute power which is what we've just wrapped up mm -hmm. um, the last several weeks so that's why he's not seeing a big jump in his FTP yet, is because his one minute, his anaerobic capabilities went up significantly more relative to his aerobic. So he's just not going to see as big of an improvement out to that hour mark where FTP kind of floats around. So what is this, like, how would you interpret this result, these results for, like, real life? Would he race well right now? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean... But he would race better for a shorter distance? Yeah, in theory. So he, it, the test results are saying right now, Wes is, quote-unquote, better or more suited as an anaerobic power athlete in re relation to an aerobic endurance athlete. So like an hour cross-raise versus um, a level 100. Right, right. Now, as he continues his training, he'll develop his other energy systems better. Yes, yes. So when we get into more, depending on what he's training for, but if he's training for long distance, which I happen to know he is, he's, he got into Leadville, he's, once we're done with the base builder, he's going to start really working on a lot more focus on the endurance side of things. So first he's boosting up his anaerobic capabilities right now through the winter, and then he's going to build the endurance side of things. But now he's at a higher level to start with because mm -hmm. it's like you're starting, it all... Everything starts with, essentially everything starts with your one rep max in the back squat and deadlift. And then it goes to your peak power, like your absolute sprint power, you know, your one to five second power. And then things go to the one minute power, two minute power, four minute power, eight, 16, 32, 64, and so on. So you want to raise that strengthen the gym as high as possible because that in turn raises your peak power as high as possible for the individual and then all your numbers start at a higher level then the goal for an endurance athlete would be to then minimize or lower your fatigue rate so you can sustain more of that top end power over longer distances okay does that make sense yeah yeah it makes sense to me okay. um yeah it does let's and you also want to increase your aerobic threshold um, capabilities so you can sustain that. That that contributes to sustaining that power for a longer distance. It sort of has like a marriage of that, right? Like yeah. your top end power and your right your aerobic capabilities. They they marry and become what you can yeah. do. Yeah, all of the energy systems are interconnected. So it's like if you improve your one minute power, everything improves down the chain all the way out to the four-hour, eight-hour distances. And subsequently, if your long endurance improves, it also does improve at your ability at the shorter distances as well. But it's really a ratio. It's like a give and take between the two. When mm -hmm. one improves, the other one doesn't improve as much, or maybe you lose a tad, but everything's still kind of going in an upward-trending fashion. 
Now, in regards to our tests, the one and four minute tests are, test our anaerobic capabilities. The 20 minute test at 80% of max heart rate, because I got this question from uh, Ruben in class uh, the other day. He's like, why do we do this 20 minute aerobic test? Because it's not really a data point we train by. But it's really the, the 20 minute aerobic test gives us a snapshot into how well our aerobic system, our submax system, is adapting to the training that we're doing. So if we see big gains in our anaerobic power, but we take a step back in aerobic, it mean likely means that we're maybe a little, we're not a, adapting and absorbing all the training as well as we should. Mm, okay. We always want to see, even if it's just slight, but at least slight improvements in that 20 minute aerobic test. It's okay. sort of like a check mark of like, is this the same or slightly better check? That means we're adapting well um, and kind of keep going with the, with yeah, the okay. training. If you were to see a decrease, then that's a big red flag of like, okay, our aerobic system, our submax system is struggling. We're maybe we're doing too much anaerobic work or too mm. much whatever, fill in the blank, you know, and then you have to sleuth out, you know, what are you doing right. too much of, or okay. maybe you're not getting enough sleep or something like that. So, um, so it's really just a checkpoint because really our, our actual aerobic threshold power is equates out. If you extrapolate it out closer to like four hour power, um, uh, and so when you do the math, the four-hour power in our spreadsheet is always a little less than what our 20-minute aerobic average is because we're just we're riding 20 minutes at 80%. But if you do 80% max heart rate for four hours, the power is going to drop down. So that's why in the spreadsheet, if anyone's looking at that, um, I actually don't think I have mine with the aerobic part. Um, there's no, a little there difference anything. there. It says like yep. tested aerobic threshold power, <clears throat> calculated aerobic threshold power, and the tested is always a little higher because it's well, just 20 Yeah, minutes. and you can see that when you're doing the test. Like my, my, yeah, it always my watts slowly like decrease. Drops. Like yeah. they're amazing for five minutes. Right. And it just like slightly goes down in the last five minutes of the 20 minutes. I'm right. just like praying that it doesn't drop too low. Yeah, and, and relax, that goes back relax. to a concept of heart rate decoupling. When you ride it, the same power, you know, you're... Your power and heart rate kind of are the same for a while. The more fit you are, the they'll stay closer together over very long durations. And if you're not as aerobically fit, your power starts to really drop off while your heart rate stays at whatever at eighty percent. Right, it right. decouples. So uh, a lot of endurance, like like um, I guess Leadville riders, a lot of triathletes, where it's like a very steady long distance kind of thing, mm -hmm. really try to minimize that decoupling effect and stay steady at the aerobic threshold kind of ranges. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how it all interplays. So in a nutshell, it's like, we want to, we want to see improvements in all of the powers. Um, and then based on, you know, where your fatigue rate is from the previous test, if you have sort of a higher one, like now Wes has a, a quote higher fatigue rate at around 9%, a good goal for him in the next test would be to still see some improvements in his one in four and 20 minute tests, but have them get a little closer together, meaning mm -hmm. a, maybe reduce that fatigue rate a little right. bit. And then when he tests again after doing some endurance stuff in his race prep block, it'll really like come together because he'll be doing more aerobic, long distance stuff. Well, it's part of the master plan. He's, he's yeah. preparing for Leadville and right. it's fine now that his fatigue rate is 9% and it's only January. Right. And when he gets to like June, July, it should be closer to yeah. like 6%. Yeah, probably. in general, our base builder, honestly, 
works to push our fatigue rate a little higher, meaning we're trying to improve our strength in the gym mm-hmm. and our one and four minute powers through the high intensity intervals. Then we start at a higher level and then we want to train ourselves to go longer at these higher numbers, therefore going faster over longer distances. Right. And it all boils down to periodization. I mean, that's a popular word in training methodology and that's essentially what we're doing. We're periodizing right now on the strength and kind of higher end sort of things, boosting that up and then later we'll focus on building out the endurance in his case for Leadville and work more on that. And so it's, you're always throughout a season, a whole year working on different areas. So, um, you know, whether it's strength, speed or endurance, um, it's kind of it. So hopefully that makes it a little more sensible. Thanks Wes for your question and just keep, keep in touch. Yeah. And everybody else send us updates. It's fun to, to hear and see and talk about. Okay, the next question is kind of a quick one. It comes from um, Daniel Hughes. He he found you through Training Peaks looking for um, a training plan, and he writes, uh, I had a question about your low-volume versus high-volume 3.1 Leadville plan. I'm sorry. I'm sure you get this all the time. <laughs> it's okay. Send it in. I've been putting 5 to 10 hours a week in on the bike over the last year. Most Most weeks, it's closer to 5. I have plenty of time for the training and can't afford eight to ten hours of sleep a night, but I would. But would the high volume be too much for me? I'm worried with the low volume, I'll be leaving some fitness on the table, and I want to do my absolutely best at the race. I'm 42 years old. My FTP is currently a little over 3.2 watts per kilogram, if that matters. Thanks. Okay. Um, yeah. So this relates to any of our training plans. We have low and high volume options, not just the Leadville one, um, and the. Honestly, no. Most people I would steer towards the low volume plan with the ability then to add more volume if you want it and need it and have time for it. Um, And this is true for any of the plans we have. So I don't think you're leaving necessarily anything on the table. Now for a long distance event like Leadville or Dirty Kansas or anything that's, you know, many, many hours, um, often riding more is better, but it's only better if you can adapt and absorb the training and, and yeah, adapt to it. Um, well, is Daniel really maximizing the low volume plan if he's, if he's hitting more of the five hour mark per week? Yeah. I mean, five to 10 hours a week is definitely low volume. I would call it. Right. But he said he often only hits the five hour mark. Right. And so if he were just to up it to like the 10 hour mark, he's still probably under the low volume parameters. Yeah. He's kind of in between at that point. Yeah. But I mean, based on what he said, um, go with low, I would say go with low volume because I think that weekly average is like seven. It goes from like five to I think the biggest weeks in the Leadville plan at least are 14 hours, you know, six weeks out from the event. Um, And uh, it's basically just adding some longer long rides in okay. for that for that sense, but um, yeah, I don't I don't think doing less leaves anything on the table per se. But he could always add in longer rides. But in you the can weekend. always add in longer. Okay. Yeah. All right. Should I do the next one? Sure. All right. This one comes from Andrew Andrew Scorsoni, and it's a Leadville 100 training plan question regarding regarding tech requirements. Okay. Um, hey Cody, I got into the into the Leadville 100 mountain bike bike race via lottery. And I will be participating for the first time. One of my writing buddies who has done the event a few times recommended your plan on Training Peaks. Cool. I currently don't have a bike computer or a proper heart rate monitor or power meter. I loosely track my progress using my Apple Watch, Strava, and Zwift while using the Smart Trainer. 
is this tech required to get the most out of your plan? Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, so I picked this one because, again, it, it's not specific to Leadville. This is for any of our plans. He's basically asking, in a nutshell, I think, what technology do we need or to do this? Um, short answer is, yes, you'll get more out of the plan or the most out of the plan with at least a heart rate monitor. And if you have a power meter or a smart trainer, you're just going to get more out of the plan. Um, all, the testing that we just spoke about a couple of minutes ago is you definitely need the power meter mm -hmm. and the heart rate monitor. Um, so if you don't have those tools, you couldn't do the test, but you can still do the training and progress through that. Um, so really, you could follow any of our plans without any tech, quote unquote. And you know, you don't need a heart rate monitor, you don't need a power meter or smart trainer. But that said, each piece of equipment you add makes the training that much more effective, much more trackable, you can see your progress using the testing, um, and frankly, it just makes it more fun and mm -hmm. interesting. So yeah. unless you're opposed to technology or your budget just is not there, you don't need it, but I would highly encourage. Um, and in order of requirement, I would say heart rate monitor mm -hmm. and bike computer um, are probably the most important because I'd say 80% or more of our training actually focuses on heart rate and then looking at how our power is responding to that heart rate, um, if you have a power meter. And then second to that would be um, a power meter or a smart trainer. Um, I would personally lead, lean towards a power meter before a smart trainer, because you could then ride on a regular trainer indoors and then take it outside as well. Yep. Um, and you know the power really comes in handy when we're doing the shorter intervals, a lot of the structured work, um, because it, Power meters just help you pace the intervals better. Mm -hmm. And then also, like I just said, you can do the testing and track your progress that way too. Um, so short answer is no, you, you really don't need any tech to follow our plans, but you'll get more out of it, probably have more fun if you have some of the tech. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. Um, next question from Chris Chandler. Hey, Cody, I was looking at the Leadville, Mount, uh, Leadville 100 Mountain Bike low volume plan. I wanted to know if this plan requires an indoor trainer or if it can be completed all outside. Thanks, Chris. Okay. Yeah, another simple one. Um, kind of piggybacking off our last questions, a trainer, I suppose, is tech, whether it's a dumb trainer or a smart trainer. Um, and the answer is no, you don't need to do any training indoors if you're completely opposed to it. The workouts, the structured workouts in specific, um, are designed to be done on a trainer, like the, they're written from the first minute to the last minute right. very specifically. Um, if you don't want to be on the trainer and you want to go outside, then what you do is just look at the main set of intervals. So after like the warm-ups and the cool-downs, you know, in between is the main part of the intervals, you can take those outside mm -hmm. and do them. And you can, like I just said, do them based off of like your perceived exertion. You can do them based off of heart rate or power or the combo of all three, mm -hmm. which is the most ideal. Um so no, you don't, even though they're structured and built to be done inside, you can easily take them outside. I do that often. Um, and in the summer, I'm pretty much exclusively outside doing the intervals and the rides. Indoors, obviously coaching our indoor classes, I, I usually do them indoors in the winter. But when I can sneak outside, um, I'll do that occasionally. And there's a lot of benefits to being on the trainer. Super controlled, super time efficient. So really anyone on a low volume plan of any kind, whether it's ours or anything out there, you're going to get way more bang for your buck on a trainer. 
Um, well, and you can do it early in the morning or late at night. Yeah. If that's how your life works with your family and your and your job. Yeah. Versus like having to deal with only the sunlight hours of your right. region. Right. And I found our 75 minute trainer sessions <clears throat> for me to replicate those outside usually takes closer to two hours. So, yeah. um, you know, doing the same main set, but it just takes longer to warm up and yeah, you ride to, to where you're going to where do you're the, the intervals. intervals. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a lot to benefits regardless. And I mean, this goes way back when I was in my early twenties training with Arnie Baker in San Diego. I was in San Diego. We didn't need to ride trainers, but we did every Tuesday, Thursday evening. So we oh, rode in the did. morning. Okay. Yeah. We rode in the mornings, um, and just did like easy endurance rides and then rested in the afternoon and then came back at 6 PM and we did basically trainer workouts. I mean, it's kind mm-hmm. of what all of my trainer workouts are kind of were established and built upon that mm-hmm. concept. Um, so we didn't have to ride trainer in San Diego, but we did because yeah. it's so effective. And that's, this was way back before smart trainer. This was 20 years ago now. I mean, we just had God, you're old. like fluid trainers were the big thing, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to be done with the magnets and the wind trainers. Um, yeah, where it's so loud, you can't hear yourself. Right, right. That's so. funny. Okay. Um, let's go on to the next question. This comes in from Cheryl Parrish. Hey, Cody, um, I just purchased the $179 plan on Training Peaks and wanted to make sure this is for Leadville 100 this year. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I picked this question because uh, she asked, is this plan specific to this year? These, all of our plans, three, yeah, all of our 2.0 and our 3.1 plans, uh, meaning non-structured or structured, um, are reusable so you mm-hmm. can use them again and again any year you want so what's really cool is you purchase them from training peaks it gets added to your uh training plan library on your personal account and then you can <clears throat> pick when to either start the plan or when you want the plan to finish like on a race date let's say and use it again and again so you buy our plans once use it love it it goes well you want to do the same race or similar race the next year mm-hmm. you just pick it to end on what date you want it or start on what date and you go again. So they're all reusable, all usable for future years yeah, as well a as good bargain. Year. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Cheryl. Um, and the last question comes from Sergey Andreev. I don't know why I try to do those accents. I'm probably ruining it. Anyway, <laughs> he says, Hey Cody, I just got into Leadville mountain bike race. I've already done it in 2018. Um, side note, my friends and I have actually chatted with you guys a few days before the race. I remember that. I remember yeah. that too. I, we were washing our bikes <laughs> I out think by so. the condo. Yeah. Yeah. And they were really friendly and chit-chatty and it's funny to hear from them. Yeah. Hey, Sergey. Um, I'm looking for, I'm looking to improve my results this time around with a goal to be under nine hours. I realize you do hear this from a lot of people. <laughs> anyway, I'm looking forward to hearing back from you um, and, and to discuss how we can proceed. Thanks, Sergey. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for the, the email, Sergey. Yeah, I'll hand this to you. Um, yeah, this one I just picked because, um, again, not specific to Leadville, but we have our training plans available, um, kind of our stock training plans. But then we also have, for people that want sort of the next level, more what most online coaches consider coaching, is our custom plans, mm-hmm. too. And we can do those around any event. So we, we, t- we talk to the individual um, and we figure out what your life schedule is, your race schedule, um, you know, when you can train your ability level, where you want to go, you know, your goals, all those sorts of things, um, that a good coach does. And then we put a plan together mm-hmm. and we have a, a, what we call our basic custom plan, which basically builds the plan out. We hand it to you. 
um, and you can pick the duration. It's um, 20 bucks a week. And at the end of that duration, let's say you do an eight-week base custom plan. At the end of the eight weeks, we reconnect, see how things went, talk about building the next block um, of custom plan. And then we also offer the custom plan plus. It's 40 bucks a week. Um, similar idea, all built around specifically for you, but we add in um, twice a month email communication where we email them a form to fill out to collect a lot of mm -hmm. data. We communicate via email. Um, and adjust the plan if needed. You know, if you got sick or you were away on travel or you're progressing faster than anticipated or whatever. So it's adjustable um, and you get that accountability and support and yeah, communication some people like that. along the way. Yeah. Are these plans reusable? The custom ones, I mean, they'd be on your training peaks, but yeah. they're not reusable in the sense that you can reload them Okay. because... Um, They'd be specific. It's highly unlikely your next year would be exactly. the exact same dates yeah. of everything. So I mean, you could redo some of the workouts, but you yeah. couldn't exactly reload it like this. The, the other plans right. that you sell, exactly, okay. exactly. So, um, so yeah, hit hit us up, Sergey. We'll um, we can definitely get you on a custom. Yeah, plan it's fun to hear from you for, after for a year. Hill. That's yeah. cool. Actually, it was I think it was two years ago. Yeah, two thousand eighteen. Yeah. All right. Um, and if anybody else has questions, you can email them to Cody at teamweight.com and our name is spelled w-a-i-t-e um, or if you have our old email address that's fine too but cody at teamweight.com or our forum at weightendurance.com forward slash forum yeah cool well let's get into talking about vo2 max training all right let's do it okay professor so a lot of people um have heard the term vo2 max and it sort of signifies painful intervals it does yeah um I mean, like, ooh, ah, VO2 max intervals. Right. I'd say it's like the classic high-intensity interval concept for mm -hmm. most people. Um, so, you know, VO2 max is, by definition, it's put simply, um, it's basically how much oxygen that you can suck in while working. And really take it a step further. It's not just how much you can suck in, but how much you can, can utilize. Get, yeah, like process through your lungs put into your blood, and then delivered to your working muscles. So exactly. It's how much can you yeah. actually utilize. So when people post photos where they're on a bike and they have tubes coming off their face, are they doing a VO2 max test? Yes. Okay. Those yeah. are pretty classic Instagram photos. Right. Yeah. Those are... Yeah. <laughs> everyone's got to I've never one done one of those tests. Have you? A long time ago. A couple, like in my early 20s, were like talent ID It seems things. very interesting and i'm curious what it would say yeah but it also looks very painful right so the 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 masks are essentially they are collecting the co2 that you're exhaling mm -hmm. and from that figuring out um how much of the o2 that you're you actually using that you used yeah. okay got it that's okay that's very interesting right to, to supply to the muscles and it's it's always a maximum effort it like ramps up to a maximum effort to figure out mm. when you're like you tap out and that's your end and they, <laughs> you fall off the bike yeah the computer does all the analyzing um so this ability to you know consume and utilize oxygen at maximal rate i mean it's, it is very much like a benchmark test in, in the endurance sport world um it's something that a lot of governing bodies um will put their young athletes, you know, in a given country um, through these testing protocols to kind of identify talent. Um, it's something that is very much genetic, 
like how high of a VO2 an individual can achieve, but it's also very trainable. So just because maybe you didn't have, were blessed with the perfect genes to hit this, you know, 80, you know, uh, millimoles or whatever, or not millimoles, but yeah, the yeah, 80. Just... So it's, it's um, milliliters of oxygen, um, the volume of oxygen per your body weight, per kilogram okay. of body weight. Um, and so it's a way to identify talent. So if someone who comes to them who's fairly young and relatively untrained has a very high starting point, it's like, oh, if we train this person, it's likely going to go and up. And what would be considered like a world-class, world, like a champion um, VO2 max number? I should have looked this up. Yeah, I think like low 90s Holy crap. is... Really? I think the highest recorded, unless it's changed in recent years, it was a cross-country skier. Skiers and rowers tend to have the highest recorded okay. values. Um, and I, that, I believe that's because you're using more muscle mass in Because it's a full body movement yeah. to move the bike or the um, boat or the skis. Right, because yeah. rowing is very upper and lower body, mm-hmm. as is cross-country skiing. Um, so the more muscles that are working and contributing to that forward motion, the more oxygen demand mm-hmm. there is because okay. you're trying to supply it. So... Um, then running is usually after that, and then cycling is usually after running. Because oh, right. we that don't use sense. our upper bodies that's, a whole that's lot. That's right. Okay. So I feel like I've heard people talk about, like, oh, Lance, Lance Armstrong, he was you know, a freak of nature. He had X VO2 max, yeah. but I don't remember what those numbers were. Yeah, I th- probably in the 80s or okay. something. So, um, you know, I think, like, a untrained, again, I should have looked this up, but untrained individuals are, like, 50. Mm-hmm. Um, women typically have a little lower numbers and um i'm gonna guess that's because uh higher body fat composition so like where the per kilograms come in okay probably has that effect but um so untrained you're hovering in the 50s you know elite maximum world records are you know around 90 wow okay um you know uh, most of your really good cyclists um are often in like 70s, maybe 80s. All right. Uh, like world tour cyclist 80s probably. So. Right. I feel like I'm going to look that up. I'm curious about the, the cross-country skiers too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is genetic. Um, so you are blessed with a certain ceiling or achievable amount, um, but it's trainable. So even someone that has a really high capability, if you're not trained, you know, if you're like a diamond in the rough and sitting on the couch and not doing anything, it might not be that high, but it might start at a higher level okay. than somebody else. Um, so to put this in, like, the people who think in FTP numbers, um, when we're training VO2 max, it's typically, like, 110 to 120% of FTP in terms of power. So um, definitely getting into that higher power output range. Um, in our nomenclature definition our vo2 max energy system you know is often that 8 to 16 minute range so it's the amount of watts you could hold for 8 to 16 minutes right right so in the running world um elite 5k runners often are running that race in vo2 um recreational 5k runners um that take you know 25 minutes or more to do a um 5k that's outside vo2 so they're more like anaerobic threshold for their 5k Mm, so it's kind of a different perspective um but it could be down even 
down to like a, a you know, um, elite runner, kind of their two mile pace. Right. Cause or, if you're running a four and a half minute mile pace, that's nine minutes. Right. Yeah. So you're right there in the, the high end of VO2. Um, and then subsequently a more recreational runner might take them eight minutes to run a mile as fast as they could. And therefore their one mile pace is VO2. In terms of rate of perceived exertion, RPE, what would you call a VO2 max set? Um, probably like a 9 yeah. out of 10. I mean, I mean, it depends if you're on a 10 or 20 point scale. Um, but yeah, 8.5. So pretty painful. Yeah, because there is still one more energy system in anaerobic power that's even higher intensity still. And that's that one to four minute power. Mm-hmm. You're um, not going to hold those. But those are very short intervals. It's long for training intervals. So right. VO2 max is a pretty high. Yeah, as far as discomfort comes, they're about as tough. They're as d- uncomfortable as training intervals get. <laughs> <laughs> um, for that reason. So when you're training them, um, they're typically done in a one to one work to rest format. And most VO2 and the classic VO2 intervals... Um, are as short as maybe two minutes and as long as four, I mean, like maybe five. I've I've heard people do five-minute ones. Yeah, that's kind of on the extreme end, but two to four minutes. um, Intervals at the proper power or heart rate um, with the same two to four-minute recovery. So you get kind of a full recovery. Equal rest. Equal rest and then repeat. And so, I mean, a very classic one is six times three minutes with three minutes recovery. So mm-hmm. that gets you 18 minutes worth of work. Um, you know, the first minute might be getting you in to actual VO2 max training. Because VO2 max training is, I mean, we train by power, but really to get into VO2 max, it's more of a respiratory rate, you know, of actually sucking in the most amount of oxygen. So it takes a good minute or so mm. to it's get like up warm to your that. system up. Yeah. Um, so... Six times three minutes is 18 minutes, but minus six minutes roughly out of that, um, you're looking at like 12 minutes worth of VO2 max training. Where you're training your respiratory system to utilize the most oxygen possible. Right, right. Okay. Now, training in the VO2 max energy system power levels, you might, you'll get the whole 18 minutes. But, um, so, does that kind of make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. Okay. It's, yeah, I get it. Um. So that, the classic is the, the one-to-one, work-to-rest. Um, some other popular varieties of VO2s are um, uh, 30-30 interval sets. Um, they're kind of like a popular thing these days. They were actually kind of formulated way back, I believe, in the 70s. It was a French physiologist. Um, it's a woman named Balat. I'm probably saying it incorrectly. Yeah, I it's don't French. think. Bla- I think Bla- you don't say it. Yeah, <laughs> the, the T in French. Um, B I L L A T. Yeah, she's kind of credited for coining the thirty thirty concept. So thirty thirty intervals um, are nice because they're they're not quite as painful as like six by three minutes. And what they are is where you go thirty seconds on, thirty seconds off, or thirty seconds on is your VO two effort Mm -hmm. and then 30 seconds off is below that as a sort of a partial recovery and then you go again and you do these a typical one is like 10 minutes of 30 seconds on 30 seconds off is this the set that that carlos was doing a lot of last year quite possibly yeah because he said uh, i think the point was your heart rate doesn't get to drop as much so you can stay in that bo2 max heart rate range yes so that's the whole concept exactly so 
the first, th- let's take a 10-minute example. The first three minutes might be required to get your heart rate elevated to the point where you're in VO2 max, like we just spoke about. And then it's like the remaining seven minutes of the 10, you're in it or at least very close because the short partial recoveries, you get to kind of recover a little bit and your heart rate might come out of VO2 just a tad, but then as soon as you start the next 30 seconds, it gets right back in there really quickly. And it's possible by the end, the last two or three minutes... Even in the recoveries, you it barely goes might, down. Yeah, you might even still stay in or very close to you. Okay. So over the course of the ten minutes of that greater interval, maybe you're getting six minutes of VO2 work or something mm-hmm. like that. So um, it's just sort of a different way to do it. But when people are doing thirty thirty interval sets, that's VO2 max training. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then along similar notes, there's, uh, you know, partial recovery. Um, this is something we kind of implement in ours and the base builder is where you do an, a VO2 interval. And then instead of taking a full recovery to kind of catch your breath and go real easy in between, um, like the one to one kind of six, uh, six by three minute one, you will do, um, a partial recovery. Um, we did these a lot actually on the track, not to get stick with running analogies here, but when we would do back when we were triathletes, we'd do like 400 repeats Mm -hmm. and we do the 400, like at our VO two max pace, whatever that was. And then we do, we, when we finished, we wouldn't stop. We'd keep running another 400, but we would take, um, twice as long to complete the recovery 400. Right. So if you ran a 90 second 400, you ran a, which would be really painful for me. Then I would get to jog a three-minute minute 400. Recovery, but you're still moving. So you're, yep. again, same similar concept to the 30-30s where you're not letting your heart rate come all the way down. Mm-hmm. So then when you start the next interval or next lap of the track, as soon as you get going again, you are you get back into that VO2 more quickly, and then they it builds upon itself. So it's the same concept as 30-30, but you're going a little longer durations typically. Will we do these partial recoveries in the, in the gym? Yes, and the, the trainer, yeah. Will it, it be in erg mode or level mode? Uh, level mode. Okay. Did yeah. we do them last year in erg mode? Uh, well, we did everything in erg mode. Yeah, I kind of remember how you... Like well, you that's do... anaerobic. Oh, okay. All right. getting Not to of... confuse everybody. Yeah. Yep, they all get blurred sometimes in my mind. Right. Um, so those are just kind of some different um, examples of VO2 max training, but basically we're training our body's ability to process oxygen, deliver oxygen to our muscles. So it's how much... The idea is to get your heart rate up via a specific power range, 8 to 16 minutes, um, for medium-length intervals, you know, 2 to 4 minutes long, and um, spend as much time up around 90, 92% of max heart rate, Mm -hmm. um, closer to 92%, um, and getting that that work in. Um, You know, VO2s are very powerful fitness boosters. you know, we'll only spend two weeks in our program in the base builder phase doing that. But later in race prep, depending on a person's race targets, you could do upwards of four to six weeks worth of VO2s. Any more than six you, is a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Um, most people, most coaches will agree with that, that if you do, you know, you do two months, you know, eight weeks of VO2s, you'll be kind of burnt out and you, you, you start to like lose fitness after five or yeah, six Yeah, I can weeks. see why. So six, four to six if you're really doing like a focus block, and it really does a number for boosting your um, aerobic 
capacity because that's what we're training is aerobic capacity. And even though now we're above anaerobic threshold, because this can be confusing for people too, VO2 max training is very much aerobic training, but we because are- Because aerobic means to use air. To, yeah, to use oxygen, exactly. Um, and so we're at the maximum amount of oxygen we can consume. So it's still probably, you know, the, the power coming out or velocity that you're running is still probably 90, 92% supplied by oxygen, you know, coming mm -hmm. from the aerobic energy system and eight or 10% maybe from the anaerobic energy system. Um, so it's still very much aerobic. And even when we do anaerobic power intervals in the next block, just simply by the name, they actually are still 80% or more aerobic contribution. So, Well, that's confusing. Yeah, it's a little confusing, but it's it's all like a sliding scale yeah. of what's getting used. Um, I mean, really, the true anaerobic efforts are like 20 seconds or less. It's like weight training, like a pure sprint. A track sprint. Yeah. Uh, basically, yeah. anything you could do while holding your breath is anaerobic. But if, you have, if you're breathing, it's or like a 25-meter swim, right? I, right? I don't even think they breathe. They just oh, yeah, even a 50-meter for yeah. a good swimmer. Yeah, yeah they don't me. even take a breath. So, so anaerobic, awesome. exactly. So by definition, that's the true part of it. But even when we're training VO2 and anaerobic power, most of the contribution is aerobic, but a larger percentage is coming from anaerobic, which okay. is why there's that anaerobic threshold, not to confuse people. Hopefully it clears A lot of terms. <laughs> Um, but often, I mean, VO, it's the VO2 max energy system or power output that in many cases in mass start races is what determines the race. Oh, right. We were talking about this this morning. Yeah. So I, it is very important. Yeah. So if you're doing a time trial or you're doing triathlon, it's not usually the case, but in any kind of mass start where you're racing other people on course, more times than not, it's the, it's an, a VO2 effort, you know, Which a two to five, the of the yeah, race. like a, usually like a really like a four to 10 minute effort where you're just, you know, killing yourself. So for example, Winter Park, that first hill climb you have to usually start on in Winter Park to get to the trails. Yeah. And that's like a five that, minute. Yeah. It's like five, uh, three to six minute, depending on where they shoot you off on right. the trail. And it's like balls to the wall. Right. It's really hard. And that happens to be the start of the race. So usually it kind of comes back together, but then later in the race... There's usually a climb or some sort of attack or something that's... And that's when VO2 matters. Like, can yeah. you hit those um, those power numbers or, in other words, like, utilize the oxygen to go faster? Yeah. It's anaerobic power and VO2, okay. usually together, because it's usually an anaerobic power effort to make the attack, mm -hmm. you know, for like a minute where you're going more or less as hard as you can go, and then you settle into a VO2 effort more times than not to kind of keep mm. stretching that rubber yeah. band and then you have if you're lucky you get to recover on a little downhill or something and then then you settle into more of like an anaerobic threshold like sustainable mm -hmm. effort to the finish kind of thing so uh, more often than not it's like your vo2 is what makes or breaks a race yeah for sure i one of my favorite memories was uh racing emily shaldak uh the last couple miles in Winter Park on this, I think it's called the Serenity Trail. Mm -hmm. And it was like 10 minutes where I thought I was going to die. Right. Yeah. Right. And my heart rate was 174, which that's like 94% of my, maybe 95% of my max heart rate. Right, right. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, so it's important. Any kind of yeah. mass start event, you VO2 helps. Even if it's a multi-hour event, I mean, somewhere in there you're tapping into that to 
make a break or mm-hmm. catch somebody or whatever. So um, super, super key. Yeah. So how we're going to do this in class in the coming two weeks is um, we are going to do, we're going to train our eight to 16 minute power. Mm-hmm. So it's critical for those following our program specifically, you want, you look into your spreadsheet, see what your eight minute power is, your 16 minute power that we determined off of testing. And that's um, when you hope you didn't overtest. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. had a miraculous uh, testing day and got really high numbers. Now you get to pay for those high numbers. Um, pay the piper. Right. So as we climb this like energy system ladder, um, going from what we've just accomplished, some 64-minute power threshold intervals, some 32-minute anaerobic threshold intervals, now we're going up again. So how much more power is going to be directly related to your fatigue rate? So those with higher fatigue rates are going to see a bigger increase in power now Mm -hmm. to get to their 16-minute power, and then it's going to increase again for their 8-minute power, okay? Um, So it's very much fatigue rate dependent, and that's one of the reasons why I like this fatigue rate testing Yeah, I do too. Is that it gives you interval work. You know, maybe the anaerobic threshold stuff was felt a little too comfortable, but now it's like catching up to you and... And the and you VO2s push yourself, yeah. will be. I can't say pushing. that it felt comfortable, but um, yeah, it's going to be just a change of pace too. Like yeah, now you get to push it a little bit. Exactly. If that exactly. gets your competitive juices flowing. Right, right. Um, so our interval sets. We're sticking with our common theme of breaking our energy system power into sets of four. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to do so. We're going to do two sets of intervals um, in these because they're shorter now. So we're going to do. Um, four times two minutes at eight minute power. Okay. Okay. So that's eight minutes worth of eight minute power just broken up and then a a little extra recovery block and then four times four minutes at 16 minute power. So 16 minutes worth of 16 minute power broken up. Um, we're going to start out with, um, equal recoveries. Like we talked about is the first example of VO2 interval. So it'll be two times or four times two minutes, eight minute power with two minutes minutes rest. Rest. Yeah. And these are full rests. So you can just stop pedaling, pedal very softly. Um, and we'll do these in slope mode, not erg mode. So it will require some concentration and focus, Mm -hmm. um, to, to stay in that. Um, and you'll take those rests and then same with the four by four minutes. We'll start out with uh, four minutes worth of rest. So it's quite a bit of rest um, that first set, um, first set, first session. I should should say. Um, we like to do the shorter eight minute power first because we want to get those sort of out of the way while mm-hmm. we're a little fresher, and then it, the intervals get longer but a little less power in that second four by four set. Um, is why we structure it that way. Um, then, as we progress, session number two, we'll do this. We'll keep the same four by two and four by four uh, interval structure, but we're gonna take away some of the recovery. Mm, okay, that's cruel. Right. So it's gonna be two minutes on one thirty off <laughs> on the second session for those, and then it's gonna be four minutes on and just three minutes recovery. Okay. So still pretty pretty close to one to one, but not quite. The idea here again is we're just maybe not reco- recovering quite as much. So when we start the next interval, we get into VO2 a little more quickly. Um, then the third session, we, we take away a little more recovery. So now it'll be four times two, which is one minute recovery. Mm. And then four by four with just two minute recovery. So now it's like half. It's like a two to one okay. um, ratio. And then the final one is just 30 seconds of rest 
in between the two minute ones and a minute rest in between the four minute ones. Mm. And that's the ultra challenging one because you can just see it happening how you have less time to recover. Mm -hmm. So your heart rate won't come back down as much. And subsequently when you start the next interval, you're going to get into VO2 much earlier into the interval. And overall, as the weeks go by or the sessions go by, you're going to accumulate more minutes in that VO2 training. Even though the number of minutes targeting VO2 power will actually be the same each workout, we'll get more minutes in VO2, meaning like maximal oxygen consumption. Okay. Um, so it's really cool. And I like it because it progresses and, you know, the first workout or two, you're, it's not so bad. I mean, yeah, yeah. And then it gets pretty tough. Um, so that's what's kind of how we do it in All class. All right. Well, some people will love it. Like, I think Deb loves those two-minute ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, these are good. I mean, they're... They're, they're fast, they're hard, and, you know, you, you blow through them relatively quickly. Yeah, the uh, workout flies by. Yeah. So that's kind of what our focus will be. Um, weekends, in the plan, as, we, as the intensity of our structured workouts goes up, we want to start backing down the weekend stress, meaning the volume, the endurance rides, for, for, just for right now. So we'll... I would recommend kind of lowering down possibly, especially if you have two rides, you know, maybe lowering them down. Um, not trying to get your longest long rides the same week. You're trying to do some really hard intensity. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it just usually doesn't work out well. So be patient. If you love your long rides, um, just be patient. They will come back in a few weeks. But um, I would highly suggest doing a little less so you're ready to go for these intervals. Um, and also it's group ride season in most places. So um, it's not a bad idea, especially if you're going to be a racer to get out on the group rides and, um, start mixing it up with people. And, yeah. Um, our buddy Darren has um, been going up to Boulder every other Sunday, I think it was, and riding out of the truck store with a group. Okay. And he, he's had a really good time. Like, yeah. Seeing some guys like Omar that he races with in the summer, like mm. reconnecting. And oh, yeah, it's yeah. been really fun, he said. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you have group rides in your area, it's kind of that season, time of the year to start. Yeah, so check with your local in. bike store. They usually have things that are going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, in the gym. Yeah, what would yeah. have got? Well, I, we're just too new. Yeah, we're just going through um, the quarter extremity sets again. Um, we did Turkish get-ups yesterday, so that was the second time we... We have done those this year, and people were, were feeling a little bit more comfortable with that movement. It's very technical, very complex. Um, some people love them, some people hate them, but if you do them well, it's an amazing full-body workout. Yeah. And um, you can start challenging yourself with heavier weights. Um, right. Just in general, like having fun in the in the gym. Oh, I told you that funny story last night that the the guys on the We Devo team all decided to weigh themselves last night at the oh, gym. Oh, yeah, you did. Oh, God, that. it was, was so funny. funny. So at the gym, there's, a like, a shower room and it has a scale. And it all started because one kid asked another kid, how much do you weigh? And that kid said, 135 pounds. And the first kid said, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and so he went and weighed himself, and he came back and he said, oh, my God, I'm 148. <laughs> okay, well, to be clear, he looks perfect. Right. Lean, strong, muscular. He, in fact, is your body twin. Okay. Like, you guys are almost the same. Right, right. Um, then all the other boys started filing into the room to weigh themselves and came back out, sort of like screaming. <laughs> That's hilarious. It was so funny. And I said, oh, this is what happened to Alex Campbell, who 
So a couple our, of years ago, yeah, yeah. One of our original writers, and he's, is he 19 now, or, or did yeah. he just turn 20? I've lost track. He's a, he's a sophomore in college. And, um, yeah, when he first started with us, he was still kind of like a gangly teenager, and then he quickly put on some amazing muscle, and he shocked himself. Right, I remember that. And he kind of had a little freak out, and, um, because he just wasn't used to seeing that number. Yeah. So all this to say, like, I don't want the boys to get stuck in a number. Their bodies are growing and changing and developing and becoming stronger. They all look amazing, like lean and strong. Yeah. And I want them to eat nutritious food, to eat enough food so they can grow and absorb the training. Yeah. And their their weight numbers, their scale. The they scales, can't get stuck in They cannot that. get stuck yeah. in it, male or female. Right. Um, yeah, when you're a teenager, I mean, it's easy when you're a younger teenager because you oftentimes you're underdeveloped and you're way skinnier than than a normal person, mm. I guess, if that's the right way to say it. And But you could be fairly powerful. And so your power to weight is, like, really good. So you see these, like, scrawny little kids that are just really good and you're scratching your head and it's a whole power to weight thing. And then when they go through that developmental change in their late teens where they add more muscle mass and they mm-hmm. become a man or a woman and they weigh more, it, it's kind of hard for them to do. These superstar juniors, young juniors, then struggle because yeah. their power hasn't increased with how rapidly their body mass has increased. And sometimes, honestly, it can be discouraging and many quit because of it, which is sad. Whereas if they kind of stick with it, keep training, keep developing that power and strength and taking the, the muscle mass they're putting on and turn that into usable muscle fibers that help them pedal their bike mm-hmm. uh, more efficiently, then it, it eventually catches up. Yeah, but sometimes the, the hard not, work will pay off. Yeah, it's sometimes it's not till mid-20s that it finally comes around. Right. Um, you know, I mean, Keegan Swenson, who's like probably the best American mountain biker right now, will be going to the Olympics. I mean, he was a really good junior, and then when he went into U23s, you kind of didn't hear much about him anymore because he was going through that shift. And then now, I think he's in his mid-20s, he's coming around, and his power now is catching up and surpassing his new body mass and he's amazing so um you just have to stick with it for the long haul but it is pretty funny seeing them absolutely come out of this shock i wish you would have been there it was so (laughs) very funny um and then they were teasing pretending like they were gonna just eat spinach soup and restrict their calories and i I looked at them with huge eyes like tell me you're kidding and they said oh we're kidding we're kidding i'm like yes just you keep eating your nutritious food eat yeah like you're doing or maybe not so much candy in the class time. Not so much candy. Yeah, yeah right. but um, yeah, they're all just really blossoming as yeah. individuals, and I, I, I'm glad they were joking about the yeah. They're getting stronger. Caloric restrictions. Gaining muscle, which is a good thing, and then now they're training that new muscle to help them pedal their bikes better, and ultimately they'll be better. So. Right. Absolutely. But it is a tough stage to. I remember it as well, um, way back when. So yeah, it's um, the new norm. I mean, for me as well, that happened. I. I was, I've always been a thin person and scrawny, skinny, if you want to say those words. And when I first was a triathlete, I was too skinny. And at one summer, I was like 114 pounds on the scale because I wasn't weight training. And it was, it was kind of gross. I I was not healthy um, looking back. And then I've started weight training and now I hover more around 124, 125 in the winter and like 122 in the summer. Yeah. So I don't thankfully have any like, issues with like the scale um but if i if i did that would have been hard for me right but there is a new norm when you are strong right absolutely yeah and i'll relate it to myself it's 
I remember, well, like in high school, I got kind of bigger, chubby, if you want to say. I mm-hmm. mean, that's relative, but. Well, um, kind of like that teenage baby fat. That yeah, I was like lingers. One, one in the 150s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got really serious in my early 20s, I got down to like 138. So I lost quite a bit of weight. Um, and was good enough to race, you know, domestic pro level races, um, on the road. And then, um, came back, became a triathlete for like 10 years and actually put on a lot of muscle mass. And ever since then, I'm now weighing like about 145 to 147, depending. Um, if I can get down to 142, that would be amazing. Um, but I don't know that I can. Yeah, so. and sometimes you get stuck on that a bit. Oh yeah, it's, it's ingrained in me. That was your culture yeah. you were right. in, and um, I get obsessed with the number. And yeah, I have way to tell more myself, than I like, do, and so we have to have talks about matter. it. Yeah, right. I mean, if you're strong, and you can look in the mirror and see if you're lean or not, mm-hmm. that pound number, kilogram number, doesn't actually really matter. So, um, especially but, yeah. when you're talking about like one or two or three pounds. So, right. Anyway. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Um, Okay, that was just an anecdote I wanted to tell you. Yeah, Um, that's a good story. But I think we're kind of done with, like, the the bulk of it, and maybe you could just wrap up with your little announcements. Um, Yeah, nothing too terribly new here, other than we have our training plans available on Training Peaks. Um, You can use, as a podcast listener, you can use the code BASEBUILDER25 on any of our BASEBUILDER plans on Training Peaks. Um, There'll be links in the show notes. Save 25% there. Um, and get your training going, your base training going if you haven't already. Um, and then uh, also, you know, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. We're also on Google Podcasts, but uh, iTunes, we're trying to rack up more ratings, hopefully five stars. Yeah, it'd be um, great if you reviews. could help us out. Yeah, so if you can take the moment to hit the little five-star re- uh, rating and then maybe a couple more moments to write a review. All that stuff helps us increase our reach in the podcast world. Um, I think that's it for now. Yeah, thanks for listening. Have a good weekend of training. Hopefully you can get outside. Yes, thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.